Let there be light. I'm not God. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh, that was horrific. Did you see what just happened? I opened my Bible, had it marked, and I just lost the mark. Good thing I know where Acts 17 is, which is where we'll be at tonight. So if you want to open your Bible, go ahead and go to Acts 17. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. It is, as been said already, it's our, our, it's, as it's been said already, third week and final week of our True or False series. Going into different statements of apologetics. As Christians, we believe we need to have evidence. Um, we have a faith that does have evidence that we are told even in scripture to have a reasonable answer and, 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 and a defense for why we believe what we believe. He says to have, give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus and do it with gentleness and, and love. And so the first week we talked about science and God, science and faith and Science versus faith. Science opposes faith as a false statement because the reality is that science is one of the greatest advocates for faith because it points to a creator. Last week, Brennan came up and tackled what I think is probably the most asked statement or most talked about uh, statement when it comes to a creator, when it comes to God, of can God exist? Can a good God exist in an evil world? And he showed us and explained to us what does it look like? Yes, we believe in a good God who exists in the midst of the chaos. And this week I get a good one. I get, I get the last one. <clears throat> and it's one that has caused probably the most deaths in the history of the world has brought about war and disagreement and argument, and it's true or false, all religions lead to God. True or false, all religions lead to God. And before we get there, I want you to think back through at a time where you had a debate or an argument with someone. See, I'm, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And if you don't know what that means, ask Jaina. <laughs> She's brilliant. She knows this stuff really well. But I am not afraid of conflict. I'm okay having a verbal tussle, is what I like to call them. At the same time, I'm also the worst person to get into an argument with. I get into arguments with my three-year-old daughter about nothing. It doesn't matter, but she's wrong, and I'm right, and I need to have a conversation with her about it, because she's not saying logical things. And I just have this ridiculous thing inside of me that wants to just push back and say, no, help try. It starts with helping her understand and then moves into frustration of like, you don't understand a thing. And I forget she's three years old, so I talk to her like she's 27. And it's like, this is, this is ridiculous. And I got to tell you, so I love her to death. You, you know I love her to death because she's a mini-me. She just is, which is why we are, fight all the time, which is fine. We love each other. But there will be moments, and she's stinking brilliant and not at the same time. She has an issue going to bed. And here, here's what I mean by that. My, my son, who's, who is, wow, six years old. I was going to say four. As you get older, things tend to disappear from your brain. He's six years old. And the kid will go to bed at 7.30 and sleep until like 7 in the morning. It's incredible. It's amazing. I, I don't know how a person needs that much sleep or can get that much sleep. My wife is kind of like that. But the kid, good night. We do our prayers. We read the book do all the things, brush our teeth, goes by 7.30, he's out, game over. It's incredible. My daughter, we have a f wrestling match for two hours when it's bedtime to when she actually falls asleep. And sometimes during these wrestling matches, they're not physical, it's just a, a fight between, it's, it's called parenting. 
<laughs> and I'm going to trip my shoes. I'm going to take my shoes off. So I apologize if you're in the front row. And what ends up happening is she'll come out 1,800 times for a drink or I have to go to the bathroom or you didn't snuggle with me. He's like, no, I did snuggle with you, but it wasn't long enough. Well, you don't know time. And we just do these things and we've argued. And then it's like, okay, we get to the point where it's like, all right, consequences need to start happening. And so our kids sleep with what they call buppies. They're just like stuffed animals and a million blankets. And so I say, all right, like if, if you come out of your room again, you're going to get what? What happens if you don't listen? Consequence. Okay, yes. You get a consequence. You're, what do you want your consequence to be? Nothing. I was like, that's not real. <laughs> I was like, your consequence, like, you're going to consequence. Like, I can either take your blankies or your buppies. And she goes, no. I was like, well, then you've got to stay in your room, okay? Because otherwise, if you don't stay in your room, you don't listen, what happens? Consequence. Okay. I love you. Good night. Tuck your bed. Five seconds after this conversation, I shut the door. She comes out. And so I immediately because I'm an eight, go in, take the blankets, take the puppies, go and like, I try to hide them. And she's like crying. And I feel terrible. At the same time, I'm like, dude, you knew this was coming. Like we had this conversation. Like, this is not, this should not be a surprise to you at all. And so we, I get her back and he's like, why did you get that? Because I had a consequence because I wasn't listening. Okay. Yep. And as soon as I get to the, yeah, I wasn't listening, but I want my blankets. No, no, Alice. You, you didn't listen. You got the consequence, remember? Yes, like, why did you get the consequence? Because I wasn't listening. What was the consequence? You took my blankies and puppies. Okay? She say, okay. And as I say, okay, good night. She but I want my, and this, isn't, this isn't working. This is, not, this is not how this is supposed to go. And then I'll just keep going because I'm ridiculous. And eventually, somehow, I, I don't know some nights how it happens. Abby has to put her to bed every night at 8 o'clock on Sunday night by herself, and I just pray for her. Right now, like, she's probably having this argument as we're speaking. But arguments happen all the time, right? Debates happen all the time. And, and there are little things like that. And then there's bigger things like, who's the GOAT, LeBron or MJ? Like, that's a real conversation we should be having. I, don't, I think it's LeBron, but whatever. And then there are bigger, bigger things like the COVID pandemic that we are experiencing, especially the mass or no mass. As vaccine is rolling out, right? Do you get the vaccine? Ah, like, I, I think it's supposed to be safe. Like, they test it, but like, they test it kind of quick. It seems like it's rushed. I don't like, like, does it actually change my DNA? I don't, uh, is, that, is that not real or is that real? Like, should I get, well, med- the doctor's told me to get it. I think I'll get it. My wife's a medical professional. She tells me to get it. I'll, I trust her. But at the same time, I was like, what do you put in my body? <laughs> How do you know what's right? All right, we need to close down the country and, and, and businesses and we need to stop gatherings because it stops the spread. And we've gone through it. Now it's, okay, we need to open the country up because families are losing businesses and they're becoming to the point and place where they can't survive. How do you know what's right? And these ha- arguments and debates happen all of the time. And the biggest one that happens, without a doubt, is how do you know which religion is right? Which faith, which belief system is the right one? Because as soon as a belief system starts to claim exclusivity, meaning starts to claim, I know the truth and I have the truth because of what I believe, all of a sudden it's, how can you say that? Like, how can you claim to know truth? Isn't that bigoted? Isn't that oppressive? Isn't it unloving to say that you know and other people don't? I had a conversation with my dad like a year within a year of me becoming a Christian. So I know nothing. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know a lot. I know that like, I'm following Jesus. That's what I knew, and that was enough. And I have a conversation with him, and, and it's late at night, and I'm back at home, 
And it's the summer following my freshman year here at SDSU. And I'm back in here and we're having this conversation. And he, we get to this point of, I'm trying to tell him like, here's what I experienced, here's what I'm learning in the Bible, here's why I believe what I believe. And he's like, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. Why is it fair that we hear this good news of Christianity and the gospel and yet people who've never heard the gospel are getting sent to hell, who have heard the gospel and don't say yes to Jesus get sent to hell. How's that fair? That's not fair. And you see, that's not just something that my dad asked questions about. These are things that we all ask questions about. When you look at the millennial generation, which is my generation, which is just above the majority of y'all's generation, which is Gen Z, but my generation and your guys' generation, we have the most religious unaffiliated people groups as far as size and percentage in those generations than any generation before us. 43% of millennials are what's in this category called nuns. They're not associated with any religion. 42% of Gen Z, so (laughs) we beat you. It's not a good thing, but we still beat you. Because all I've heard is how y'all Gen Zs are just millennials on steroids. So... Take a win for the millennials. This is not a good category to win. Are religiously unaffiliated. And what happens when you get associated and, and, and this growing number of religiously unaffiliated of these nuns, people who don't want to associate with the religion because they don't believe there's one that is truthfully or right, is you get this thought process and this system of well, all religions lead to God. Just, it's this idea of, hey, you do you. Right? We know that. We've heard that. You do what's best for you. You walk to the beat of your drum which is my daughter walks to her own beat and the beat is off, I think, all the time. And I just, I don't want to rein her in, but I want her to follow Jesus's beat and rhythm and it's hard. (laughs) So help me. But it's just you do you, which is this idea of you do what you feel is right. You do what you feel is right. And so all of a sudden we're living in a society that is this religious pluralist or religious relativist idea of a society that says all religions lead to God. That says not one can hold exclusivity of truth. Not one can fully lead you to God. And it's even like I have stats to back this up. This is the millennial and Gen Z generation. 43% of millennials who call themselves Christians say it doesn't matter what faith you follow because they all teach the same thing. 70% of millennials, Christian or not, now millennials, there's a little more stats because we're a little older. Gen Z's are very, very close. 70%, Christian or not, say that many religions lead to eternal life. 48% say that if you do good, you will go to heaven. 50% believe all people are saved and accepted by God no matter what they do. We live in a religious pluralistic society that says there's not one true road to heaven. There's not one true way. Always are good. Always teach truth. All religions lead to God. But this isn't a new concept or new idea. I got two quotes that are gonna get thrown up on the screen. One is by the name of a gal named Madam, and I'm gonna gonna butcher this so bad. It's Gerardine, and I don't know French, but she's a French gal, who lived, born in 1805, lived to 1855, was a French author and novelist. Super well-known, had a ton of influence. Great writer. She says that the best religion is the one that's most tolerant. Oscar Wilde, right? Famous author, super well known. 
says, truth when it comes to the matters of religion is simply just the opinion that has survived. So what we know of truth now, the religions that we see now are ones where just the opinions happen to survive. It's that the idea of the victors of history tell the story. These are not new concepts. The idea of all religions lead to God is not a new concept. And we see this even in scripture. Paul, in the early church, in Acts, continually addresses towns and cities as he goes through Asia and Greece and the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel of Jesus, coming up against religious pluralistic societies, where he's coming in in all of these different towns and areas, worship different idols, and there's a bunch of different gods, and there's not one exclusive truth that's being proclaimed or so they want to tell us that, or people want to tell us that, or society wants to tell us that. So in Acts 17, we see Paul, who comes and is kicked out of a town previously called Berea. He's kicked out of this town, and he's going away, and it says in Acts 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So he's in Athens because he got kicked out of the city before him, and he's waiting for Timothy and, and Silas. Come, he's waiting for him, and he sees all these idols. He sees all these different gods that are being worshipped. And in Athens, he knows of, obviously, a synagogue. So he goes to the synagogue, he talks to the, the, the Jews there and, and the Greek God fears who are in the synagogue and he's trying to explain the gospel of Jesus, Jesus and the resurrection. Then he goes to the marketplace, which is literally what would be literally a walled space where you go and you do bartering and trading and, and buy goods. And he goes there and he's just so distraught and heartbroken about seeing people worship gods that are not the one true God that he can't help but start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and his resurrection. And so in verse 18, he says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? What, what a nickname. Like Paul the babbler. Have you heard about this guy named Paul? He's a babbler. I, I, I think it's an insult, but I don't know. I think he could come up with something better. It says, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Are... Oh, I had it in my head and I lost it. Areopagus, yes. Where they said to him, may we know that this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. This Areopagus place was either at the time of Paul or right before Paul was known as a, judi- it was a judicial court. It's where you would go and you could have charges brought against you, but contextually in what we see, Paul was literally brought there because it was also a place where the meeting of a minds would take place. Where it's when, when new ideas, especially about religion, about faith, about philosophy, about wisdom would come into play, they'd bring them to this spot, Areopagus, and they would say, okay, debate, but like, tell us, what are you teaching? What do you believe? This is a foreign idea that we have not yet heard of. Tell us what this is about. And it's actually almost like, okay, if we don't think you're super, super like out of whack, then we'll adopt this as a part of our city. And why, you gotta know something about Athens. It's incredible that Athens comes from the Greek goddess, Athena. Athena was the goddess of war and of weaving, literally, but and of wisdom, which literally was just applied knowledge. 
And so from the start of the city and the, and the start of when this town began, they were okay with embracing different philosophies, different wisdoms, anything to help them live life and coexist with one another. It'd be a, it was a starting place of Greek philosophy, of drama, of incredible history, of beauty. It was where Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, like this, this Athens was the city and the spot in a moment of history that had this explosion of beautiful Greek philosophy. And so within that, they wanted to encompass and take in everything that was different when it came to worldview, religion, faith. And so Paul had this opportunity and he starts pre- preaching the good news of Jesus. So he licks and then we're gonna go in verse 22. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worships of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Paul's sitting in his city of religious pluralism, which we live in. We live in this religious, relative, pluralistic, universalistic idea that all religions lead to God. That there's aspects of truth in every belief, in every philosophy, in every faith. And Paul's sitting here and he sees this and it breaks his heart and he's distressed. And because he's seen the radical change of what Jesus can do to an individual being himself, he proclaims it and he says it. And in a religious, pluralistic society, what we see is Paul making exclusive statements of truth. He says right away at the beginning in verse 16, I see the city was full of idols worshiping gods that are not the one true God. He says Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. 24, it's the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, saying there's one God. He's not served by human hands or any idol that you made of gold or silver or stone. And here's the most exclusive statement he made in this speech, in this sermon, in this debate. It says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man who is Jesus, he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. And what's amazing about this is if you read on, it says the majority of people scoffed, laughed at him, ignored him, walked away, and it says, and some believed. A very minuscule amount of people believed. And the reason that people walked away is that although they thought they were super religious um, relativists, that they embraced and included all and were super inclusive and were super tolerant, is they said something that went against what they believed and thought was the one truth. You see, it's when it says Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, Epicureanism was a system of thought that asserted that there's no connection between people and the divine. 
which Christianity pushes back against. The belief was expressed as a desire to seek contentment and satisfaction to avoid pain and discomfort, which is kind of like Buddhism. Where the Stoic philosophers was this pantheistic held view, this idea where we believe in a being, and, but that being is displayed through multiple different kind of gods, kind of like almost Hinduism. And they said that being holds the universe intact. Where Paul is saying, on the other hand, I believe in one God, creator of heaven and earth, who sent his son Jesus to live a life we couldn't live, paying for the sins that we committed that separated us from that God, from the creator of all things, to the unknown God that's written on your altar. See, that God sent Jesus. And Jesus died for you. And not only did he die, God raised him from the dead. And you see that statement of exclusivity pushed the Stoics and the Epicureans and the people that were so tolerant away. Because here's the problem with the statement all religions lead to God, one of two. The first one is that exclusivity exists in every religion. Exclusivity exists in every religion. And I'm gonna explain this real quick and I'm gonna go through, and this is just not even a deep dive of the major religions. This is an overview of some of the top five major religions. You cannot go into a study of Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Christianity without recognizing and seeing every single one of them make exclusive statements. Islam, it says this in, in, in the Quran. It says, whoever seeks a religion other than Islam and who has never accepted Allah I hate saying this phrase, but this is what it says. He will be one of the losers. Islam says that it is a legalistic system. To be a Muslim and to earn salvation is to believe the articles of faith that they have and to follow the pillars of their faith, which is a specific creed, praying five times a day in a specific direction, giving, fasting, and if you have the means to once in your life go to Mecca. Hinduism, which claims to be the most inclusive faith in the world, says this in its teachings. Krishna, which is a god, says, those who are without faith in my teaching cannot gain Krishna, which means enlightenment. So I permeate all the universe in my unmanifest form, all beings exist within me. Even though it tries to be representative as one of the most inclusive religions. They say in Hinduism, you can believe whatever God you want. They say it doesn't matter because they believe in karma and reincarnation. So they believe every God points to this reality of Krishna, of getting to the enlightenment. If you get it wrong in this lifetime, that's okay. You'll come back and try to get it right again, depending on how you lived your life. But it makes an exclusive statement saying, those who are about faith in my teaching cannot gain enlightenment. Buddhism, this says, it's called their book, The Way. It says, Buddhism is the only path. There is none other for the purification of insight. Walking upon this path, you will make an end of suffering. See, Buddhism excludes other religions that believe in sin, for there is no such thing as sin in Buddhism. Buddhists do not regard man as sinful by nature, of in rebellion against God. It's every human being is a person of great worth who has within himself a vast store of good and a vast well of evil habits. According to Buddhism, there's no such thing as sin as explained by other religions. Christianity is also exclusive. 
it make, makes exclusive claims because every religion and every faith does. Jesus, it's not me saying it, Jesus in John 14, 6 says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So on this foundation of exclusivity, we have our second problem, which is this, is that all religions contradict one another. So exclusivity exists, which is problem number one. Second problem is that they all contradict each other. And real quick, we're gonna run through, it's gonna be on the back of the screen, I'm gonna go through this quick, how they all contradict each other, which in and of itself means they all can't be true. Not all religions can lead to God. Reincarnation which is what Hinduism and Buddhists believe, contradicts the belief that this life is the only life before eternity, which Christianity, Judaism, and Islam believe. Pantheism, or Hinduism, contradicts the belief that there is only one transcendent God, which is what Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe. Salvation from sin, a Christian idea, contradicts the belief that there is no sin to be saved from, but simply pain that can be escaped through enlightenment. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, contradicts the teaching that he is just a prophet from Islam or that he was a false prophet from Judaism. Jesus dying as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, world and rose from the, the grave contradicts the belief that Jesus was taken up by God and never died, which is what Islam believes. The law of non-contradiction tells us that because these truth claims or every religion makes these truth claims, that they have exclusive truth claims in and of themselves they all can't be true because they contradict with one another. It's false that all religions lead to God. So if all religions can't be true, how do you go about figuring out what's right? What is true? And even in saying all religions can't be true, that's not an inclusive statement. That's exclusive because you're saying you know the truth by saying that, that you're right. And we who would say actually that's not right or wrong. Every faith, every belief system makes exclusive claims. How do we know what's true? Christ, Christianity and my, and my belief and my experience in evidence that I've seen, which is why this is an apologetic series, Christianity is incomparable and inclusive. Now, I know that doesn't make sense and I'll explain it. Just give me a second. It's incomparable meaning that there's nothing that's its equal. It's unlike any other. And here's how. Every other religion and faith system teaches that you earn your way to God. The Islamic faith. So you have to follow these five pillars of the faith. And following these things, you earn favor with God. Hinduism says that as you pursue the teachings and the followings of Krishna, you will eventually gain and seek and understand enlightenment. Buddhism teaches nirvana. Judaism exclusively claims that the Jewish and Israelite people are the only people of God and has created a system of law that helps them gain access and favor with God. Christianity tells us in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No other religion can make that claim. 
to say you have to do nothing to earn favor, to appease God. It's this simple idea that every other religion requires belief and behavior. Christianity just requires belief. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. They would not perish. John 17, he says, this is what eternal life is, that you would know the one whom I sent, Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is why Christianity for me is the most inclusive, exclusive faith. They're all exclusive, but Christianity is the most inclusive because it says there's nothing that you have to do to gain any type of worth in order to get closer and be in favor with the Father, with the Creator, with God. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. You don't have to pray this many times or come to church this many times in order to finally gain access and favor with the Father and be in relationship with Him. It says God's done it for you. No other religion can claim that. And one of the greatest ways that I believe Christianity is incomparable, there's no one like it, nothing like it, and it's inclusive, is that no other religion and no other God can claim that their Savior, King, Lord, and Creator died for their enemy. Jesus, who through him all things exist and were created, which Colossians tells us, Jesus, coming down from his throne in heaven, leaving a place of worship amongst heavenly hosts, chose to come down, giving up his life, dying for his enemies. No other God or prophet or leader of a faith can claim this. And what's incredible about this is that it puts every single person on the same page. Every person can come before the Father, can come before Jesus, and in humility recognize that I am his enemy because of the sin that I've committed. But no other leader of the faith is able to say, I've died for you that your sin no longer would be counted against you, but you would be seen as right and good and just before God. Christianity is incomparable and it's inclusive. At the core of its faith is a savior who died for his enemies. And then finally, and there's a lot more things and I'm 100% out of time, but no other religion has an empty tomb. No other religion has an empty tomb. We follow and serve a savior, a leader, who died and came back to life. Every other major religion leader is dead. Jesus is alive and well. Matthew 28, 6. We are reminded of this truth in this. He says, he is not here, he has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. The tomb is empty. The body is not hidden and will never be found. 
because Jesus rose from the dead. And what's incredible is there's conspiracy theory about what happened, how the disciples like somehow overpowered Roman guards and in their distraughtness because they literally just saw their rabbi die and in their grief, they were able to somehow move a two-ton stone without waking up soldiers who were apparently sleeping and stole the body and the Roman Empire and the Jewish religion who had all the resources at their hand, who could have used the resources and probably did to try to find the body, couldn't find the body. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. His body is not hidden. And we believe Jesus rose from the dead because there were 500 witnesses. No other religion, no other leader can say that their tomb is empty. So not all religions lead to God. Every religion makes exclusive claims and has exclusive truths of what they believe to be true. Christianity is exclusive in its idea and in its theology about how to view God, in its theology about salvation and sin, about how the eternal life is a free gift of God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But it's incredibly inclusive when it comes to people. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Jesus Christ. Because we all come with this reality. It doesn't matter my socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter my race. It doesn't matter where I grew up. It's in Jesus, we all are one because before Jesus, we were all in the same status before God as separated from him because of our sin. And it's incomparable and inclusive because we don't have to do anything to earn salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn favor with God. He came to us. The tomb is empty. Our savior and our king is alive and risen team, you guys can come up as we are going to close on worship. So what do we do with this? Two questions. What do we do with this? All religions don't lead to God. Christianity, according to Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Two questions. One, how are you treating people who have different beliefs than you? Because even in the claim that I just made, that Jesus makes, to say no one comes to the Father except through him, to be able to say, like, I believe I know the truth and I have it, does not make me superior or better than people who are not followers of Jesus. Because we all come humbly with this reality that my sin has made me an enemy of God. And so I don't come to God in superiority because I'm better than you because I believe Jesus. <laughs> the Bible tells us that faith is a free gift of God. It's a gift of God. And faith comes by hearing and it's hearing the gospel. And so it's, I don't want to look at people who I disagree with and think I'm better and superior. It's I want to see people as they were created in the image of God, desiring for everyone I know and don't know to come and know Jesus, to say yes to him, to be able to have a conversation and in cooperation without compromise like Paul did in Acts, to come and not condemn and belittle 
and judge, but just to proclaim truth, to proclaim what his belief was. He lived life with them. He had conversations with them in a marketplace. He went to the synagogue and talked about Jesus. He didn't force his belief, but he didn't compromise what he believed either. He knew and believed the truth claims of what Jesus said and what Christianity claims, but without a doubt was the pioneer of helping us recognize how these claims are for all people, that Jesus is for everyone. So how do you look at it? How do you treat people with different beliefs? And then the second one, what have you done about the claims made about Jesus? From himself, calling himself God, saying he is the way, from pastors and leaders of the church from the last 2,000 years. What have you done with these claims? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. How do you see Jesus? Who is he in your life? Do you see him as Lord, God, Savior, and King as he claims he is? Do you see him as just this great moral teacher, which even C.S. Lewis says is kind of actually insane and unwise because of the great claims that he made? Where do you stand with him? Did you, do you fully understand and grasp the reality of the grace and goodness of the gift of eternal life that God has given us through his son, Jesus? Stand up. I will never, ever, ever get sick of proclaiming and preaching the gospel. And I pray, and I pray every single one of you never gets sick of hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, which is this. God created every single one of you to be in relationship with him. But even looking back is what Brennan preached last week, why evil exists in the world, the fall happened. Sin entered the world. And when sin entered, it not only was in that moment sin, but it affected all of humanity. And that sin broke a relationship that we were made and created to have with God. It was destroyed. And there was nothing and is nothing now that we can do to make that relationship right, to fix it and reconcile and restore it. And there was nothing we could do. So God, in his greatness and goodness, didn't stand idle. 
Jesus came. He lived the life that we were meant to live. He died a death that was meant for us because of our sin. He rose from the grave, affirming every teaching that he had, being able to exclusively proclaim he is the one true Savior, King, Lord, and God. And he says, all you have to do to get that relationship with God restored and fixed is believe, is to trust, is to say, Jesus, in my sin, I've recognized that I've been turning and running away from God, that I've lived for myself. I believe that through your life, death, and resurrection, my relationship with God is restored and redeemed, and I wanna run away and turn from my sin. I don't wanna live for myself anymore. I'm gonna live for you. Have you believed in Jesus? There's gonna be people in the back to pray for you wherever you're at. Tonight, I wanna encourage you. Put your trust and faith in him alone. His claims of truth are real. He loves you so much and prove that through his sacrifice. And he doesn't require a certain behavior from you to come to church or to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with Jesus. He just asks that you would trust him. Do you believe that his payment was enough? That that fixed that relationship? And if tonight you haven't done that and you want to, we're gonna have leaders in the back ready to pray for you. Go and tell him, I wanna believe Jesus tonight. If you got a connection card, write it down so we can pray for you. Because this is not an individual faith, it is a communal one where we walk this thing together. Because we all are the same. There's neither Greek or Gentile, Jew or Gentile, female or male, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this series, moments where it gets hard and tough and and moments where we try to explain these things, God, and even as I'm talking, trying to explain things, but recognizing and knowing and understanding that sometimes it's just a faith. It's just trying to believe that you are who you say you are and that we are who you say that we are as your sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. God, I ask for those tonight who have not said yes to you, who have not trusted in you, who have not believed in your payment from sin, in your life, death, and resurrection for their sin to fix their relationship with God, that they would do that tonight. That they would be unashamed and unafraid to recognize the free gift of life, the grace given and extended to each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you've allowed us to come to the Father and that the Father is pleased to have us in his presence. God, we love you, we praise you, we will give you glory in all things. Let us worship now, unashamedly. In Jesus' name, amen.